0: 1920, and there's a poor peasant whose life is quite hard. His house is just made of earth and clay, you know, maybe some wood sort of thrown together. It's just a simple one-room house, and he's a laborer. He works every day, six days a week, and basically his wages are his food for the day. So he, he, he labors, he gets paid for the day, and he goes and buys food, and that's it. It's a hard, hard life. And on top of his poverty, let's say that this peasant has made plenty of poor choices, and that's kind of compounded the difficulty of his life. Until one day, messengers from the castle come. Let's say they come on this really fancy carriage, and they see the peasant, and they tell the peasant that, shockingly, that he is the long lost son of the king. He's a prince. And not only is he actually a prince, he is the heir to the throne. And so as the peasant grabs the hand of the messenger and steps into the carriage, he becomes a prince, right? And yet, even though he technically is becoming a prince instantly, and he's no longer a peasant, truly becoming a prince, a a royal, will take this man a lifetime right? This peasant-turned prince, for instance, has no idea how to eat properly, right? How to have the manners of a royal. Uh, He doesn't know how to govern. He doesn't know how to lead, he doesn't even know how to read. Life is not going to be easy for him. Now, it's going to be good, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. I actually think there are plenty of parallels with this story, To the Christian life. Important ones that we're gonna see in our passage today in Luke chapter 14. Now, I know when we go over passages like this, you can't just reach down and grab a Bible under your chair like we can at North Point Elementary, but I still think it's really helpful to have the Word of God in front of you. So even if you need to just pause this for a second and go find a Bible in your house, or even if you just need to bring it up at your phone, I still really wanna encourage you to have the passage in front of you as we read today. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 14, we're gonna start at verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, now notice that the setting has changed from where we were the last two weeks in this chapter. You know, Previously, Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. Now hes we're told that he's speaking to a large crowd. His popularity is growing, right? The crowds have been increasing. Now, and sure, the, the crowds, they like Jesus. They're impressed by Jesus. But Jesus wants to know, will they still follow him when the going gets tough? And so, He makes it really clear to them that he, Jesus, must be their first priority. And he begins to say to them, he says, listen, if you're going to come to me and you're going to be one of my followers, uh, then you're going to need to hate your mom and dad, your uh, wife and kids. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Now, uh, especially to the kids that are listening to this, maybe you're watching the service with your parents that can sound really confusing, and I want you to know that Jesus isn't saying that you need to hate your mom or dad. Uh, he's doing what what we would call exaggerating to make a point, point. and so he's just comparing things. He's saying, "I want you to love me so much that if this is your love for me, and this is your love for your mom and dad, I want you to love me so much that compared to how much you love your mom and dad, it almost seems like you don't even like them compared to me." Now I want you to honor them and love them, but me, I want you to honor me and love me way more, way, way, way more. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants to be first in your life, and he wants there to be absolutely no question about who might be in the running for first place with him. He just wants it to be obvious that he's first in your life. Uh, This really reminds me of a passage uh, from earlier in Luke, actually. You might remember this from Luke chapter 9. It says this, he said to another man, follow me. This is Jesus. He's saying to somebody, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, nothing, nothing should come before Jesus in our lives. And he's serious about that. But here's the thing, putting Jesus first isn't always easy. And I think this is going to be one of the main points of the passage. In fact, I think you could summarize the entire Uh, chapter 14 in this way, that salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. So think about this from The last couple passages, do you remember uh, in last week's passage, for instance, when the master who's holding the banquet, he's the one that sort of represents God in the parable, he says that everyone is invited to the banquet. He says, go out, bring in the lame, the blind, the poor, invite them in. They can come to my banquet. See, salvation, being forgiven, going to heaven, costs nothing in Jesus' kingdom. It's entirely free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. It's free. You just need to believe. It will cost you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything, Jesus is saying. Okay, so what's discipleship? A discipleship is the process of becoming a disciple. It's the process of actually following Jesus day by day. It's the process of making Jesus your Lord. It's surrendering your life, your will to him, so that he becomes the ultimate authority in your life. And that process is hard. And that process will and should cost you everything if you do it right. Jesus then goes on to say, if you keep reading in the passage, he says, I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. Well, what does that mean? It means we are to pick up the cross. Well, what does the cross symbolize? Now, remember, Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet when he's saying this. But as listeners would know, living in the Roman Empire, that the cross was a symbol of execution, a symbol of death. And so he's saying, he even says, you are to hate your own life in comparison to how much you love me. So we are to put to death our desires, all the things that we want to do that would contradict or go against Jesus so that we could follow him. And so we take our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, and we submit them to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we necessarily get rid of all of them, and, and it doesn't even necessarily mean mean that you just put them in second place. What the Bible teaches is we are to submit our desires to Jesus, and so like your job for instance. You you work at your job, but you work at your job for the glory of God. Uh, You love your kids, but you love your kids with the love of Jesus, and so all of our wants, all of our desires are submitted to Jesus. They are in fact reoriented around Jesus who is the center of all things and first in our lives. Uh, By the way, it would be absolutely crazy for anyone to demand this sort of allegiance from you unless they were the son of God. You know, sometimes people talk about Jesus and say, oh yeah, he was just like, he was a really good teacher. He's not a teacher. No teacher is going to come and say, I want, you better make me first in all of you. He is the son of God, the son of God who's demanding that we put him first. And listen, if you're not putting Jesus first in your life, then you're not doing it right. And we do it, we put him first because of what he did for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. But to put him first, to, to follow Jesus, even if your friends and your relatives mock you for it, well, that's not easy. Or to put Jesus first when this world is telling you that a thousand other things should be put in front of him. That's not easy. You know, one of the things that we say here at Renovation Church a lot is the greatest danger of idolatry, of worshiping something else besides Jesus. It it never comes from what is bad, but it comes from the things that are good. But see, if Jesus is not first in your life, then this will not work for you following Jesus. Over time, what will happen is your faith will just break down. I saw this a lot back when I was a youth pastor. Your parents sometimes would come to me in distress and they would say, "Why doesn't my 18-year-old want to follow God anymore?" They'll say, "They grew up in the church and now it's like they don't even think Jesus is remotely important." And I would say to them, "Well, here's why. That's that's because For the last 18 years, even though you've said like, oh, Jesus is important, we should go to church, for the last 18 years, whenever there was a schedule conflict between Jesus and hockey, or Jesus and vacation, or Jesus and drama club, or Jesus and school, or Jesus and family, whenever there was a schedule conflict in your guys' life, Jesus was never put first. And so why would you expect them when they begin to live their own lives to put Jesus first. Your actions have totally demonstrated to them, because it's not just about your words. Your actions have totally demonstrated to them that Jesus is not their first priority. And many of you parents, you need to hear this word today. Or your kids are going to be in the exact same position when they're 18 years old. No, if we're truly going to be followers of Jesus, he's got to be on the throne. He has to be first in our lives. That's exactly what this passage is teaching. But then that means the death of many of our desires and our wants, and that doesn't come easily. And so Jesus warns us that we must count the cost. This is verse 28 now, if you have it in front of you. Jesus is basically saying, listen, uh, it, it wouldn't be wise to build a tower and then get halfway through and go, oh. I guess I don't have enough money to finish. No, you count the cost at the beginning of it. And then he says, you're not going to rally all your people to war. Get out to battle, you know, with a big rah-rah, we're going to fight. And you look around and realize that you're 10,000 men short. And then say, uh, retreat? No, you're going to count the cost before you actually go to battle. And sometimes, I think when it comes to explaining what it means to follow Jesus in this country, we don't actually do a very good job of teaching people how to count the cost. Like we tell them the part about how salvation will cost them nothing, that it's a free gift, but we tend to kind of leave out the part about discipleship costing them everything. But this is really important because if people don't count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus at the beginning, then when they get halfway through or a little bit of the way through and it starts to get rough... Well, then they're going to quit because they never accurately counted the cost at the beginning. Now, we've got to be careful here because we don't want to give people the impression that they need to kind of clean up their lives before they come to Jesus, right? Like, for example, when that uh, peasant that I told you about in the beginning, when he's told that he's now the prince, he doesn't need to clean up his life or go take a bath or something before he becomes the prince. He's been chosen. They just told him he's the prince, But we also don't want to give people the impression that Jesus won't want to clean up their lives after they get adopted into his family. Just like the peasant can't keep acting like a peasant now that he's a prince. Uh, Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, God invites us to come as we are, not to stay as we are. I I read an article uh, not all that long ago about the... uh, church and what the church was like in Romania in Eastern Europe uh, during communism. And they said in those days, you know, it was really hard to be a Christian during those days, that that people would come to pastors and they would sometimes say, I'm ready. I want to become a Christian. And they said the the Romanian pastors would always say, that's really good. I'm so excited that you want to become a Christian, but uh, why why don't you reconsider it first? Because, can you imagine saying that to someone? Why don't you reconsider it first? Because if you do this, it is not going to be easy for you at all. You will lose a lot of things. And then if people still wanted to proceed as, you know, with their interest of becoming a disciple in Christ, what they would do is they would offer basically a three-month class where they would study what it means to truly follow Jesus. And then at the end of the three months, many of the participants would say, yes, I am a follower, I'm a believer, and so I want to get baptized. And then the Romanian pastors would say to these people, they would say, that is so awesome that you are ready to become a Christian, but I want you to understand that tomorrow at the baptismal service, when you give your testimony that there will be informants there and they will jot down your name. And so if you do this for you tomorrow, your problems will start. And so count the cost because Christianity for you is not going to be easy. You might be demoted at work. You might lose your job, probably lose some of your friends, could lose your neighbors. This will affect your kids. You could even lose your life. And then the author of this article, who's a Romanian pastor, he, he says this at the end. He says, but let me tell you my joy when we looked into their eyes, and their eyes were full of tears, and they told us, if I lose everything but my relationship with Jesus Christ, then it is still worth it. I'm getting baptized. Can you say the same? Are you willing, would you be willing, to lose everything to make sure that Jesus stays first in your life? Or when all the social distancing is over and you get back to your busy life, will Jesus just kind of go back to the back burner of your life? Or every time something on your schedule begins to conflict with Jesus, will he keep just getting pushed aside again? Count the cost. Count the cost. He's not asking for part of your life. He's asking for all of it. And herein, I think, lies the great paradox of Christianity. This is something Jesus hits on often in the Gospels. Uh, Yes, he tells us in verse 33 that we must give up everything to follow him. But the truth is, in giving up everything, we gain everything. Listen, my friend, in putting Jesus first, He's not asking you to give up anything that will hurt you. It's like we keep, especially as Americans, we keep clutching on to these idols of of family and and money and activities and pleasure and entertainment and we won't let them go because we've, we've, we've convinced ourselves that if we let them go to follow Jesus with more passion and more energy and more time, that that would just be too much. It would hurt too much. and So we don't let them go. But we're like the peasant who became a prince. And it's just saying, oh, it's too, it's just, it would be too hard to do what you're asking me to do, Father. For me to learn how to read and learn the, all the titles of these people and learn responsibility. I'm just going to go back to the village and live in my shack. Yeah, that's what we say. That's what we say to God when we don't trust him. He says, no, 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 come. Follow me. Give me your everything. Put me first. And listen, when you count the cost, don't forget to count the benefits. Like on the one hand, yes, Jesus is not lying to you. The the cost to follow him will be hard. It will be difficult. But surrendering to him, fully giving your life to him over and over each day is gonna be way better than disobeying him and still grasping onto your old life. Our reward is great. A relationship with the king, eternity in heaven, You know, a few of you watching this need to even ask yourself, if you say that you are a Christian, but Jesus is never really first in your life, perhaps you aren't actually a Christian at all, because Christian just means Christ follower. He says, my followers will give everything. I will always be, I'll be first in their life. If you're not striving for that, obviously you're not going to be perfect at it. If you're not striving for that, are you even a Christ follower in the first place? And then you've got to ask, is choosing all of these temporary pleasures and putting myself first, is that worth getting hell at the end of my life? Count the cost. I I, I feel like if we could truly see, if our eyes could be opened spiritually, and we could truly see like what the cost really is, and we could truly count it accurately, we would be like the man that Jesus talks about in the parable of Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 44. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I love this parable. It cost that man everything, everything, everything that he had to go and acquire this random field now I want you to understand in doing that his family would have thought he was crazy What you're gonna give up everything you're gonna sell everything you have his neighbors would have thought he had lost his mind like such intense sacrifice but that man incorrectly counting the cost he knew that he had gained so much more than he had ever had before. And that is what Jesus is trying to show you in the scriptures today. Yes, putting him first, it's not going to be easy. It's going to require sacrifice. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. But it, there is no better choice for you to make. My friend, it is so worth it. Every day, give more of your life to Jesus. And that's my prayer for you today, that today you would give everything to Jesus. Tomorrow. You would put him first. The next day, you would put him first. Keep putting him first. Let me pray. Jesus, teach you, teach us how to put you first. Forgive us for the times that we put you second, third, fourth, or tenth. God, may we put you first again. May we count the cost. senior your me pray. Amen.